Blog Talk Radio. about. 
so Mark, I'm curious, before I get into, you know, the plot synopsis of this thing, you saw the first one, right? Your wife dragged you to uh, Snow White and the Huntsman? Close. We watched it at home together. Okay. I bring that up only because there are things about these two movies that we're going to wind up talking about, and in some ways they're almost uh, intertwined to the point of to the point where differentiating them becomes an exercise in futility in some ways. Uh, the opening, uh, the opening can't even call it the opening act, like the prologue of this movie uh, establishes that. Uh, the evil Queen Ravenna from the first movie, played by uh, I, my one of my favorite things about both of these movies, is Charlize Theron just chewing scenery like it's going out of style. She is an Ethiopian famine victim, and screen time is suddenly her sustenance. It's glorious. And I don't mean that in any kind of sarcastic way. I mean, it's actually really great to watch someone chew scenery like that. Uh, we are introduced to her younger sister, Freya, played by Emily Blunt, who is sadly given very little to do in this. So, there's a trend here. There are some really talented actors associated with this movie, and it's written so poorly that nothing comes of it. Anyway, she and Ravenna are sisters. She falls in love, has a child with the guy she fell in love with, but... That man is promised to someone else. Ravenna warns her this will end badly. And it does. The uh, Granted, it's actually Ravenna that coerces him into it, and that is a plot twist that shouldn't even, be, shouldn't even qualify as a twist. It's so telegraphed. But this man she was in love with kills their child. Uh, she kills him. This, tra- this traumatic event awakens her innate magical powers. She travels off to the north and starts conquering people. She steals children and raises them to be her army. Among them are Chris Hemsworth as Eric the Huntsman, as again seen in the first movie. And in the role of his love interest wife, partner in ass-kicking is Jessica Chastain, who is in every way, shape, form, and fashion an improvement over Kristen Stewart. In The characters are very different, but in the same kind of female lead role. Uh, massive improvement in, again, every possible way. Uh, Freya has a thing. She doesn't want people to fall in love. Never mind that love takes many forms, fashions, and uh, between people is not always romantic. Uh, Anyway, silliness aside. It's a fairy tale, you see. So she has rules that no one in her kingdom will fall in love. This is why she has to keep conquering to keep children coming in because, hey, no love, right? Eh? Uh, Anyway, Eric and Sarah, uh, played by Jessica Chastain, do fall in love. The queen finds out that they have and are planning to flee. Uh, She deceives them both into thinking the other one's gone. In the case of Sarah, she makes it look like... She throws up this wall of magic ice between them. They both look through it. Eric sees her be stabbed by one of the other guys and die. She sees him leave her. Uh, He gets hit over the head and dumped into a river. We then flash forward to the events following uh, Snow White and the Huntsman. Uh, Snow White is now having problems with the evil mirror that Ravenna had, uh, because it's an evil mirror. 
She wants it taken to Sanctuary, this place where it will be kept safe away from people, places, things. I don't know. It's never actually made clear. And she wants, and she sends a bunch of people. They get lost, ambushed. So they recruit the Huntsman to go find it and a couple of dwarves. Sadly, this movie continued what the previous one did, which was, I maintain, a huge mistake in a few different ways. So they didn't actually hire dwarves. I know some of them prefer that, midgets, little people, whatever you call them. They did not actually hire little people to play the dwarves. They hired full-grown men, and then they just digitally shrunk them. It, it, it's a process that, expe- that you know increases the budget and is not really worth it in the end. Well, I, I mean, Nick Frost is a funny guy, but I, I mean, t- it, it, just a mistake. So a couple of the dwarves follow go along with Eric for no discernible reason other than he needs someone to bounce dialogue off of. Uh, They find out the queen is spying on him. She thought Eric was dead. Now she's planning to, if not invade Snow White's kingdom, at least steal the mirror because it is full of evil magical powers. They take off to find it. They find a couple of dwarf women in a scene that was basically copied and pasted from the original when Eric gets strung up by the dwarves and in this case they're t- caught in a net instead it's uh, it, bad decisions anyway again at this point Sarah re-enters the picture uh, she mentions that she had been kept in the dungeon Eric of course thought she was dead they reconnect in the loosest of terms she's had seven years of you know hating the man's guts for abandoning her to you know, stay up there with Freya and all the other huntsmen and all that. And he's just kind of happy that she's alive. Uh, they eventually do find the mirror. It was stolen by goblins, which are weird-looking things in this movie. Uh, ugh, bad CGI. They recapture the mirror. Freya finds it anyway because Sarah led her to them. But during the interim, she kind of regained her feelings for Eric and winds up sparing his life at the end. Eric mounts the triumphant rescue uh, on Freya's Citadel, and it turns out that Ravenna's spirit is now inhabiting the mirror, so when Freya activates it, uh, we get her back, which, again, is great because I, I have a deep appreciation for villains who are just evil because they're freaking evil. And that's kind of where Ravenna falls, and I, I appreciate that. Uh, anyway, we get the revelation that Ravenna's the one who caused her child to be killed. She and Ravenna have a crappy CGI magic duel. Uh, Ravenna basically impales her, then she freezes the mirror. Eric throws an axe through it. Mirror's destroyed. Uh, theoretically, Ravenna's destroyed, but they mention at the end that probably not. There's still some golden birds that were part of her spirit that escaped the tower before the whole thing went down. Uh, Eric and Sarah rekindle, uh, you know, can kind of rekindle their relationship. Uh, the ice melts, the snow recedes, and the lands of the North are free again. It's believe me, if you're listening to me talk about this and it sounds a tad stupid, it it, it is an execution. This is an extraordinarily poorly written film by just about any measure. Uh, Mark, God, where do you want to start with this? Okay, well, in the interest of full disclosure, I nodded off <laughs> from about I, – I didn't even get out of the trailers before I, uh, I passed out. And 
Um, I've had to go back and read, uh, read some of the plot recaps and um, sort of piece together what happened. I, I woke up and started paying attention when Thor and Mer- uh, Meredith were in the hot tub. Um, Mark, I'm going to insist you start taking your daughter with you because she apparently has a better chance of getting through these movies without falling asleep than you do. You know nothing of my daughter, okay? She, she has even less of a chance of, of uh, unless I take her first thing in the morning, she, you know, at 9 o'clock, she hits a hard wall and goes right to bed. Um, the point is that uh, this, I just happened to not be real with it that night, and it was either that, you either go see it Friday night or not see it at all, unfortunately. So I went, I went to like a 9.15 show, and I thought I was okay, and I just, you know, not at all. It happens. My mother apparently falls asleep at every other movie she goes to with my father, and they see a movie every week. But nobody cares about that, Robert Winfrey. What they care about is I missed basically the setup. I know I, I, I know what happens now, but, but I'm only going to comment on what I was awake for. And I was awake and alert and able to re, um, report on everything that happens after the hot tub scene with Thor and Meredith. Okay. Um, Why do you call her Meredith? Huh? Why do you call her Meredith? Uh, from from uh, Brave. Uh, first of all, that's Merida. Merida, right? And, right. Okay, I I understand your point of reference now. Fair enough. Yeah, I'm not the only one that's made that uh, connection. By the way. No, so, they so, just. So, this is so slapped so together. Well, oh, kids know, like this, kids yeah. like this. Well, I was going to say, you want to know where to start with this? Um, one of the, there, there are two, some, there, there are two themes in the reviews for this movie that I saw on Rotten Tomatoes. One is that this is the love child, this is the retarded love child of Lord of the Rings and Frozen. That's, that's with one lane of traffic. And the other one is, this reminded people of Once Upon a Time, the movie, only it's not as good as the television show. Um, you know, and if you know anything about Once Upon a Time, which I don't watch, but I'm aware of what it is, it's basically a world where fantasy characters all sort of mingle together uh, in, this, uh, in dramatic fashion. And that's what this feels like. This feels like they just took characters from other movies and threw them into this and made them fight with one another. Um, and, and so... Was I entertained from what I was, you know, I, the fact that I nodded off at the beginning of it is not the movie's fault. That's, that was my own. Um, but from the point of where, you know, where she separates, she makes them fight and they're separated and they think that one of them has either died or betrayed the other. And we're off and running to the events after Snow White and the Huntsman. I mean, it was okay. Uh, they have the mirror who's playing the part of the Ring of Doom. Um, you have... Uh, you know, you, you have this journey to bring the thing. Uh, I don't know where they thought they were taking. It. I guess they were taking it back to Snow White. I, this they is were what taking I it to Sanctuary. Where was Sanctuary? I don't know. I don't know. It, it's okay. a it's a location within their world that is apparently safe to house your evil relics in. I don't know. It's never made very clear. Yeah, so they were bringing it to Asgard. Got it. Um, sure. Into Odin's throne, into Odin's prize room. 
with the Infinity Gauntlet phase. Got it. I, let's move on. Um, so, I mean, as far as, like, you know, a, a quest movie, <laughs> I, I actually remember thinking about this when I left the movie. I said, well, that was the best D&D movie I've ever seen. Um, Considering the, the only other girl. one that we've ever gotten had Jeremy Irons, who deserves better, and one of the freaking Wayans brothers. Yeah, and well, there was well, there was the animated version of uh, uh, of the um, Dragonlance books, but but I don't remember. I don't remember being terrible, but uh, but other people who read the Dragonlance books hated it. In any case, oh, the books are the books are so much better. Yeah, they are. Um, but it, it was okay. That's all it is. It's just okay. It's kind of a cockamamie plot. But it more it more just felt like it was the best example of movie making by executive committee that I can come up with. Because if you thought Batman versus Superman was you know movie by committee making, this is even worse. This this literally looked like let's stick our finger in the air and take a poll: what fantasy characters are popular or or, or um, target well with our audience? Oh, Merida targets well. Uh, Elsa targets well. We want to bring Charlize Theron back because she's awesome, and everyone likes Chris Hemsworth. So let's put them all in a movie together and find a reason for them to interact. And that's the movie. Yeah, this... What what really bothers me about this movie is you have a few things about it that are actually pretty good. And unfortunately, they're just buried, marginalized, and otherwise obfuscated by stuff that has no real purpose being there. Well, I mean, Chris Hemsworth looks like she's having fun in the movie. I mean, one of the things I can't stand about high fantasy is when the actors take is when is when the subject matter itself is taken overly seriously. Let's remember we're dealing in high fantasy here and have some fun. And Chris Hemsworth looks like he's having a ball in this movie. He he's not weighed down by the nonsense in the least. Jessica Chastain plays her role fine. She's a betrayed she's a betrayed, jilted, abused lover and a warrior princess. And she plays that role just fine. Emily Blunt's character, uh, you know, of the traumatized mom slash uh, crazy queen, a crazy ice queen. Uh, turned conqueror. I mean, she does the best she can with with the role that she's given. She's not given a whole lot to do. It's things being done on behalf of her. Um, but as far as being uh, being Elsa and letting it go, she she does a fine job of it. And you're right, Charlize Theron just fucking eats the scenery like Pac-Man. Um, and so it's like it's like individually. The people in the movie do good jobs with their parts. The problem is they're dealing with they're dealing with a rather thin plot and a lot of borrowed a lot of borrowed themes. So the movie comes across as very unoriginal. Um, I'm sure we're going to disagree on the CGI. I thought it looked okay. Um, I wasn't. Uh, depends I wasn't on what really parts you're talking about. I wasn't really moved one way or the other. I thought it looked, I thought, I mean, I wouldn't go as far as it looked pretty. It's no Lord of the Rings, but I thought as far as high fantasy goes, you know, it, if it, it, sci-fi channel special effects are sort of the low bar and Lord of the Rings is the high bar, I would say this was average. 
Eh, on the whole, maybe. There's some individual parts, like uh, the goblins uh, are terrible. They're just terrible. <laughs> all of the all of the ice, all of the ice CGI is just makes my eyes want to vomit. Ooh, what about but a lot um, of the other stuff is fine. What about Ravenna's tar powers? Marginally better than the ice, in part because they're not featured so prominently. Also because I know what ice know looks what like, ice looks like. <laughs> and quasi congealed tar being manipulated by external forces. I'm willing to suspend my disbelief a little bit more than, hey, this is what ice looks like. No, that's not what ice looks like. I have some in my freezer. Ravenna should have gone full Maleficent, okay? I think that's the problem is that if they were, is that I think if you're going to go silly, then fully embrace it. Stop. Don't hold back. Once uh, Emily Blunt turned on her and she, you know, and she revealed herself to be the author of all your pain, James. Boy, we are using that phrase a lot these days. Um, well, but, it's applicable. It's applicable. <laughs> but once, once she revealed herself to be the author of all your pain, um, and she started, and everyone started to go after her, including her sister. She should have gone full Maleficent and turned into a monster, like just a big octopus or something, or a dragon with multiple heads, or you know, some sort of uh, griffin. I don't know, but I, I, they, they should have. Charlize Theron should have gone full monster, um, and just, and, and and I mean that in both ways, like the movie monster and like actual turn into a monster. Um, just, 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 just sort of wrecking shit. It would have made the ending a little bit more satisfying because instead they have, you know, Char- Charlize Theron throwing, uh, throwing tar at, uh, at Thor and, and I don't even remember how he kills her, but, but they do. And it, it was sort of underwhelming. Because her spirit was in the mirror at that point after Snow White killed her in the first movie. Right, right, right. So yeah, one, so once they threw the the ring into the into the uh, the heart of Mount Doom, Sauron lost all of her powers. Something like that, yeah. Something like that. That's exactly what happened. They well, there was the no volcano. And died. <laughs> well, whatever. You know what I mean. But that's what I mean. Like everything is borrowed from another movie to almost to the point where it's like a blatant ripoff. So, so again, that that that's where that's why I started with like this feels like Once Upon a Time, where instead of coming up with something wholly original um, in in the world of fantasy, it's just borrowed means. Which really shouldn't be all that surprising, given the rather troubled history of uh, this movie. Uh, this movie. So talk about that because I don't I didn't do the research on on the pre-production of this thing. Why don't you tell people? how we got from Snow White and the Huntsman, which was a surprise hit, to uh, Once Upon a Time in the movie. Well, like you said, it was a surprise hit. Consequently, we must have more because money. Profitability take hostage. Indeed. Then in in the wake of, uh, hey, we're going to make a sequel to this. Oh, wait, you mean Kristen Stewart and the director uh, had an affair. he was married at the time, if memory serves. Oh, crap. This is a huge uh, PR nightmare. 
Well, we'll fire the director. We'll bring back Kristen Stewart and Chris Hemsworth uh, and Theron, and we'll get a sequel to this because given the way the first one ends, they're basically sequel baiting. It's a very abrupt, very oddly placed ending. Uh, but you know, then there's you know a few more things go on back you know behind the scenes. Now the director's out, and now Stewart's out as well. Okay, so that leaves us with Chris Hemsworth and Charlize Theron, who were the two highlights of the film anyway, so maybe we can work with this. It had three or four different, or writers, four different writers at different times, including Frank Darabont, who was attached to direct. And I really wanted to see his version of this after seeing this, because Frank Darabont is a pretty solid filmmaker. But he got into a spat. He left Universal. I don't know whether the terms were, you know, acrimonious or not. But he left Universal, and we got the director we did, who is, and brace yourself for this stunning bit of revelation, this was his feature film directorial debut, which should shock no one. And you've got kind of a hodgepodge of scripts. You've got a first-time director. And it it all just really shows. And, I mean, a better filmmaker would have realized that you have a few strong things going on here. Uh, the interplay between Chris Hemsworth and Jessica Chastain is easily a highlight of this film. The fact that, you know, when they reunite, she is, you know, still very bitter and thinks he abandoned her and there's all of this kind of reintroduction of, you know, we're going to get to know each other again. It was very well written. It was a nice way to blend it out. And it played very well. They had those two have very good on-screen chemistry. And sadly, we spend a lot of our time with the dwarves making dwarf jokes. Yeah, I have a complaint about that. Go for it. So they, Go for it. You sound like you don't want to hear it. No, please, by all means. Sorry, no, I, that came out flatter than I intended. So you have the scene at the, at the tavern where Nick Frost it hits on a buxom uh, woman. She dumps beer on his head like you do when a dwarf hits on a human. And that leads to a conversation of what dwarf women look like. And dwarf women are supposed to be these hideous creatures. Um, not 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 appealing in any way, shape, or form, and, you know, the, the whole procreation of dwarves is, is, is an accident, because who would ever sleep with these hard beings? And the two dwarf women they introduce are not bad-looking. I mean, one of them, one of them probably takes a few beers before you hit it, but the other one looked fine. There's nothing wrong with her. And I was like, if you're going to do that, then you, you, just, you just set this thing up and then it just falls flat, making that entire conversation utterly pointless. And then on top of everything else, you have the one dwarf who was especially hard on dwarf women um, because he guess he's feeling left out, decide that he has amorous feelings for the less attractive dwarf woman. <laughs> what was the point of this? Uh, I'm going with Love Conquers All. Sure. My point is, no, it, why the dwarves, that bit of can't, the dwarves could and should have been written out of this thing entirely. 
Well, they're fine in there for comedy relief, but that conversation didn't need to be. I mean, if you were looking for some sort of tension between the dwarves and the dwarf women, you didn't have to make it about sex appeal. Like, it's an odd thing to choose. You know, dwarf women, you know, are fine, but they have terrible tempers. Um, it's, it's whatever. You know, they, they, they do this with the Klingons in Star Trek. You know, they talk about, you know, uh, how you know, Klingons made or whatever, and it's an odd thing. And when you see it in, like, things like Deep Space Nine or whatever, um, you know, it, it does seem violent and odd. So there's a way to handle that without making a statement and then immediately retracting said statement, making the first statement completely, utterly useless. You know, if they, they, there was a way to get from the dwarves to the dwarf women and create tension without it being dwarf women are ugly, but we're going to bang them anyway. All right. Why are we talking about this? Yeah, that, uh, that sentiment gets brought up a lot in this movie. Um, I don't have a whole, I don't have a whole lot to say about the movie. Like I said, it looks okay. The performances, of the, I think, are the best that these accomplished actors can put together. Um, the plot's uh, a congealed mess of nonsense. And I was mildly entertained. You know, like, I didn't hate the movie. I, 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 this is going to sound like a weird statement, but just because something's garbage doesn't mean I didn't like it. And this is slightly above garbage. I know. You defended garbage to me for three hours. uh, We're going to do this again. Um, I'm going to illustrate your point is all. (laughs) So, I mean, if you, if you turn, it's one of those, if you turn your brain off and you enjoy high fantasy, then this works. Especially if you're into a lot of familiar things like Elsa, Merida, Thor, and I don't know what the hell Ravenna is. <laughs> you know, Maleficent, basically. The evil um, queen. The evil queen. Standard, yeah. archetype. standard archetype. Then, you know, then by all means, have fun with this movie. Like my daughter mentioned when she, when she saw the poster that she wanted to see it. And I would sit down and watch with her again. I don't think there's anything really in this that, um, you know, that, that I would be against her seeing um, that I can recall. Nothing comes but, to my mind. Huh? Nothing comes to my mind that I would find overly objectionable for children. The violence. Yeah. I mean, we watched Maleficent at home, and that, and, and that uh, you know, there, there's a quasi-rape scene. So, whatever. Um, so, I, it's like, like I said, I, there's not a whole, if you're looking for sort of deep interpretation of the movie and it's just, it's just nothing. It's a hollow shell. Um, it's candy. It really, is. it really is. If you're into high fantasy, you'll probably like this movie. If you don't like high fantasy, uh, there's nothing in this movie that's appealing. Yeah, I I don't disagree with pretty much any of that. There's a lot of stuff in this movie that feels unearned. I mean, there's a, there's theoretically this kind of underlying debate about, you know, the merits of love and the final sequence is supposed to feature a bit of a, you know, rising up against Freya, who is, you know, no, there will be no love. It's a, you know, 
it's just a weakness, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it falls very flat. It's shot very poorly. Well, I was going to say, the problem is they're, they're rising up against her, but then she turns out not to be the enemy. Yeah, the, that yeah, final that, little that, bit that there feels little... like it was written by Vince Russo. <laughs> Swerve! I think, look, I think actually having Charlize Theron in the movie beyond the first part of it um, is, what, is part of what cocks up the movie. Uh, what you, the, the problem here is that throughout this whole thing, Emily Blonde, Freya, who I keep calling Elsa, is the villain. She's the one pushing things. Even if you feel sympathy towards her because she was manipulated by her sister, she's still the one who uh, is interfering in the lives of Eric and uh, whoever Jessica Chastain's character is. Um, She's the one conquering the world and everything. And she should have been the main villain. And Charlize Theron should have basically been left out of the movie except for the beginning. Um, she's already dead in Snow White and the Huntsman. Leave her dead. So you have her sort of show up at the beginning um, to fuck over her sister. And then we already know what happens to her with Snow White. And then let this be a movie about Freya and the Huntsman. Part of what cocks up the movie is that at the is that when they bring the mirror back and she lets uh, Ravenna out of the mirror, now all of the heat's to use a wrestling term, now all the heat's on Ravenna and she becomes a sympathetic character uh, and Freya becomes a sympathetic character. And you're like, when the hell did that happen? So now you so now everything that the movie built up and was supposed to pay off has gone out the window and you're watching a whole other movie a movie you saw already because they've already defeated the bitch once. So it's like, eh. I really feel they either needed to leave her out of this or bring her back sooner. Uh, I mean, if we spend the entire third act of this movie with more of their interactions and with more of her further manipulating Freya and kind of working that angle a little bit, let Freya get a bit of sympathy back a bit more organically as opposed to, you know, it was me, it was me all along, Austin, at the very end. Well, I would have killed her, actually. I think if you wanted, if you wanted to bring, bring Charlize Theron back at the end of the movie and make her the big bad, I would have had Freya release her from the mirror and then realize that she's done a, she, she's made a terrible mistake because what because she didn't realize what she was doing was letting Ravenna out, and Ravenna going thank you sister thank you for bringing me back to life and then kill her, you know and then scream there can, then then she'll go through the quickening because there can be only one. That would have worked too. I, I think the I think it was a major narrative flaw that they tried to dangle the you know. He, uh, her lover in the beginning is the one who killed the baby when, again, it's painfully obvious that this is Ravenna's doing. If we actually see that bit in the beginning that uh, we get at the end where she you know, is talking to the mirror and the mirror says, yeah, you're, your sister's daughter, she's going to be fairer than you one day. And then, you know, the magic that keeps you alive forever is going to break and, trans- and potentially transfer because there's a great little bit there where Ravenna tells the mirror, you, you can't ask me of this. And the mirror says, I'm not asking anything. I'm just a reflection. You already know what you're going to do. Yeah, you've already made up your mind. 
if that's in the beginning of the movie and we see, you know, a rift form between them right away, then I think you get to play Freya up as a bit more tragic throughout the rest of it. And then, you know, Ravenna's reveal at the end where she just comes back and starts, you know, obliterating things maybe plays a little bit better instead of this really, really poorly done kind of cat and mouse game they have with the narrative. The other thing I, I complained about was Jessica Chastain's turn on Eric felt unearned. Um, I guess she, I guess she, they said she it. was out there. Yeah. It's just like, I, like I get where they were coming from and I suppose that's a, that's a fine choice because at the end he's, you know, because He's never truly, he never truly won her back, and it isn't until the very end of the movie um, that she that she sees Eric for for what he is and what he's trying to do, and falls back in love with him again. Okay, fine, I get that, but at the point where she she turns on him and hands him over to Freya, I was like, eh, okay, like I, I you're right, it was rushed. And they might have had more time to... The problem is there was not enough time, and, and part of it was the dwarves were around, so you had to give them equal screen time, and then they were fighting goblins. Um, so with all of that going on, there isn't enough time for them to reestablish a relationship and fall back in love, only for her to say, this was an act. I was, you know, I was always going to betray you. My loyalty belongs to Freya. Um... Yeah, that so, slow burn as they kind of fall back in love with each other got really rushed. And I again, speaking of things that are you know, horribly from. telegraphed, oh, she shot him in the chest. I mean, did anybody buy that? I'm just curious. Anybody <laughs> well, I, out I, I there suppose, listening to this? Go ahead. Uh, you still there, Mark? I am not sure if I lost Mark or if Mark lost me. Give me just a second. Let me see if I can get a hold of him. Uh, magic of live, everybody. There's always something that can possibly go wrong, and frequently will. Uh, in the event that you're only hearing me, I'm going to keep talking. In the event that you're only hearing Mark, uh, then this goes to Okay, Mark should be reconnecting very, very shortly. Uh, in the interest of, again, kind of filling some airtime here, uh, the last thing that I really kind of wanted to say before we get into you know, some of the parts a little bit further down the line for this show, uh, again, that the, again, uh, Sarah's, you know, revelation of turning, of having been working for Freya the whole time is, again, rushed. 
there's a lot about this movie that gets, again, kind of buried under the desire to try and fit too much into it. I'm back. Yay, Mark's back. Did you hear music for a little bit? Just a second or two. It sounded like you pushed the button for your country washboard of of jubilation. I did. Okay. And then I didn't hear it because I was the one that was dropping. Got it. Yeah, okay. Moving on. Uh, all right. uh, I just really wanted to mention that I I can't say I was terribly entertained by this movie, which kind of depress it, it kind of disappoints me because I I, I really kind of wanted to have fun at this movie. I, there were Mark and I just you know, Mark's talked about it. I've talked about it. Just because something is not necessarily of high quality doesn't mean we can't enjoy it. Some of my favorite movies are not necessarily ones that you would call of high cinematic quality. You know, stuff like Tremors or Con Air or The Rock. That's the Michael Bay movie, not Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, they're just kind of fun movies. And no, they're not great. They're not necess- you know they're not winning awards or praise, but they're fun. And you can have fun at movies like that. And I was really hoping I could have that there would be fun to be had in this movie. And unfortunately, it just gets buried. Uh, I maintain that somewhere within this basic structure is a entertaining, fun time at the movies. And it, you know, deals a lot less with dwarves and goblins, a lot more with Chris Hemsworth and Jessica Chastain, and a lot, and you know, hopefully less bad CGI. Uh, I was really disappointed in that because. Again, I wanted to have fun. You know, the presence of Chris he- Chris Hemsworth has enough, you know, charisma and affability to kind of draw you into anything. And it's sad that that was downplayed to such an extent in this film because you know, he, Chastain, and Theron are the major assets this film has going for it, and they're just buried under poor writing and inept direction. <sighs> Um, yeah, I, I, that's it. I don't want to belabor these points. Um, I don't. I don't want to keep saying the same things just so we fill up time. So that's it. I think that's it in a nutshell. Um, bo- borrowed memes, unearned, unearned uh, plot, emotional turn. It's uh... yeah. Just the, the, this. This had the potential to be a lot better. I think if they had gotten, to, I think. The problem was it wasn't sure which story it wanted to tell. Did it want to tell Emily Blunt's story? Did it want to tell the, the, the story of love lost between and then refound between Eric and, and Jessica Chastain? Um, you know, it, I feel like if it had actually focused on one story uh, and then allowed some of the subplots to breathe a little bit but not, the, not share equal focus, this might have been a better movie. So, for example, if you want to go back and tell, like, if you want to go back and tell sort of the backstory to how Eric lost his wife, go ahead and do it. You could have actually lost Charlize Theron from the movie altogether and just had this be about a wicked queen who, you know, who, uh, who controls ice and leave her backstory out of it. But you know, <laughs> but to paraphrase 
uh, Ask a Ninja, everybody has to have a plot line. <laughs> everybody has to have a backstory. Everybody has to be sympathetic, even when you're trying to create a villain for some other reason. And it, hence my deep appreciation for Charlie's Theron just going kind of whole hog on, no, I yeah, I killed your child. I want to live forever. Um, yeah, if they had said to me like, "Hey, you know, can you tighten the script up?" What you, I would have. I, I, the problem is they wanted Charlize Theron in the movie, but she doesn't fit in the story. No, she, she really doesn't. It's kind of, it's fine in the beginning. It's a little bit forced at the end. It really is just kind of shoehorned well, in there. Because, you can pick one. You can like you, you you. The problem is you can't be in both places. Because you have to have a tighter beginning so that you have more time, at, so that you have more time in the present to deal with the characters. Um, so if you drop her from the beginning, get right to you know, just start off with in the west, you know, in the in in the west or in the north lived an ice queen, and she kidnapped all the boys and girls, and she said there will be no love because her heart was because you know, her heart was as cold as ice. Blah blah blah. But two fell in love, and she shat on both of them, <laughs> and that you know, and just tell that story, and get on with it. And then at the end, you know, when you know when uh, when Freya has the mirror, that's when you can do the big reveal and well, here comes Ravenna again, and she kills her, and she says, "There can be only one," you know, and she says, "I will take control of this kingdom, and I will kill everybody." I'm the monster. Um. I think it's a much better movie. This is my opinion. I honestly would have been perfectly have fine been if they had stuck with the prequel, prequel and the film actually ends with uh, Sarah's death and Eric's descent into alcoholism and exile, where she's eventually discovered by Ravenna and sent to recapture Snow White. I would have been fine with that story too, but I'm a traditionalist. So I don't mind, you know, movies ending on a down note necessarily. Either way works. Um, be interesting to see what your ideas for that story would have been, seeing as there was no, there was nothing like that in the movie. But let's talk numbers. Let's talk numbers. Let's talk reviews. Let's play my favorite games, because I think, because um, I think we've said all that there is to say about the craft of the movie. Yeah, this movie opened at number two or three. I can't remember which one. Uh, low twenties. Uh, 22 and a half yeah, for its opening weekend, which is a bit disappointing. A lot of the early numbers were closer to 25, maybe into maybe towards 30. Uh, yeah, not going to happen. Currently uh, sitting at a worldwide gross of 101 million has not made its 115 million uh, production budget yet. So according to an article that I have here, uh, from the Guardian, the headline is Universal. Now, last year Universal was was one of the big studio winners, them and Disney. This year they're they're not doing so hot. Universal facing seventy million dollar loss in the Huntsman's Winter's War. Well, remember we talk about this frequently, read every week basically. A movie <laughs> has to double its production budget to really be profitable. That's just how the math breaks down, how the profits are split up. You want to make money on a movie, double your budget. I'm not entirely sure why they thought this movie needed $115 million. 
I figured and they I, spent it on the CGI. Well, no, I, here's what they spent 150 million on: the CGI and Charlie in Charlize Theron's uh, salary. Well, you got Theron, you've got Hemsworth. He was, I think, he was you know kind of signed on after the first one, but he's still not cheap. Yeah, but I, well, I don't know about that. I don't think. Uh, I think the fact that he's in Marvel movies, um, you know, makes him. I, I think the Marvel movies that he, that he is in do well, but I don't think he's a box office draw per se, and I don't think his movies do that well. No, there's still I, I fail to understand why some of the choices he makes and some of the way that, that he's used as an actor. But again, the the thing there being, he's not necessarily cheap. Uh, I yeah, bad. I mean, I'll do some research here while while we're breaking this down. But I, I'm, right now, I'm looking at his filmography, and take out the Marvel movies, and take out take out the Marvel movies, and take out um, Snow White and the Huntsman. You know, he's not in like. <laughs> so let's go with just after Thor, okay? He's in Cabin in the Woods, which I'm sure he didn't get exactly a ton of money for. And was actually um, shot prior to Thor. It was released partially on the success of that movie. Was how it got its wider release. Red Dawn, which he could not have gotten that big of that's a lot of money for. He wasn't even. Uh, in, that comes out in 2012 at the same time as Cabin in the Woods, The Avengers, and Snow White and the Huntsman. So he's not really an established star yet. Um, in 2003, I'm not counting his voice work for, for the Star Trek movies. Um, in 2013, he actually appears in the first one. Good. Again, he's not getting a lot of money for the, for the two seconds he spends on screen. Um, he's in, in 2013, he's in Rush. In 2015, he's in Black Hat, which... Bombed. Oh, that was... Oh, that was... Michael Mann doesn't make good movies, I, I'm my opinion. In 2015, he has a bit part in Vacation, which again... Not getting a lot of money for that. Um, in 2015, he's also in, in the Heart of the Sea, which I think that did okay. million, Nope, on a hundred million dollar budget, made 93.8 million. Jeez, Don Howard's name does not carry a whole lot of weight anymore. It seems. Nope. So you know, like I said, if if he comes at a high cost, I don't know why. And it's only because of his association with Marvel. Um, well, based on your predictions, he's going to be in one of the two biggest movies of the year this year. That's right. <laughs> Everything will change after Ghostbusters. But I'm telling you right now, but you're, you're God, talking about Chris Hemsworth. Shut up. You're talking about Chris Hemsworth right, right now, like he's a big box office draw. And I'm telling you, the math doesn't add up. There's no way studios are paying him hefty fees. Charlie's Theron, I can see them paying a lot of money for. And Emily, they're, not, they're certainly not paying a lot of money for Jessica Chastain. Um, Emily Blunt, maybe. I don't know. I, I don't think – I'd be shocked if Emily Blunt commands a terribly high price tag. Okay, so then like I said, the money they spent $115 million on, the CGI, the sets – and most of Charlie's most of the CGI salary. of which is shrinking down Nick Frost and the other dwarf. That takes money, man. 
Yeah. And I want to know, it's a stupid decision. You know how much you you're paying for a guy, and then you're paying a bunch of people to digitally shrink him. How about you just My hire point? a dwarf? How many how many good dwarf actors do you think there are out there? You know, um, we got lucky with the vintage. But my point is, it's not just the technology that you're paying for and the amount of time spent, um, the amount of time spent uh, inserting CGI into the film. They work with a number of different animators and uh, and technicians, and those people command fairly high salaries. I mean, we're not talking. I mean, they're not paying zillions of dollars or anything. But you figure when they when they're talking about special effects budget. They're not just talking about the props and shit. They're talking about paying people salaries as well. So yeah. I guess no, not, I, I understand I where it, where it's going. It's just sad that it was so misused. Well, okay, that's all a whole other whole other kettle of fish there. Um, so yeah, they. Uh, Plus, I get the, the other thing with that budget. You could probably shave twenty million off of that. And I'm mm. not sure you would have affected the overall quality to any noticeable degree. I don't know. Um, I mean, I think towards the end where there's ice and tar going everywhere, I think if you, I, I think if you're not trying to do the best job you can, it comes off looking even more shitty than it already does. I'm telling you, cut the humans that they cast as dwarves, and you reduce not only you're cutting that, hire dwarves. And you, you're saving money because you're getting someone probably cheaper than Nick Frost, and you know, Nick Frost is a funny guy. And you're also saving... really not, they, they really not need Nick Frost. Like, they really could have gotten anybody to... I mean, I'm not even thinking, you know, like, you're suggesting they should have gotten a midget. I'm, I'm, my suggestion is that Nick Frost and, I guess, Sam Clappin, they didn't need I either. Like, they could have just gotten two dudes. <laughs> two, two short people... To, to to play those roles and it would like they neither one of them neither one of their performance really brought anything to the movie they just said their lines and the lines were either funny or they weren't yeah I'm saying hire a couple of dwarves and we're also going to save on the post production stuff of paying someone to digitally shrink them down okay I'm saving so you money first. studio executives for free here. Um, this weekend, uh, coming up is Keanu, which is a cat movie, Ugh. which weirdly enough actually has a pretty, pretty decent review on Rotten, uh, rating on Rotten Tomatoes. People uh, think Key and Peele are funny and they're stupid for thinking that, but they do. Okay. Well, I didn't know what a Key and Peele was until I watched them up it. So I don't want to talk about that. Um, no, oh, they're a crappy they, comedy duo. Good for them. Uh, then there's Mother's Day, which I don't know what that is or if anyone's going to go see it. And then no, people and... will see it. People will go see Mother's Day because, hey, people think that Jennifer Aniston draws money. She doesn't, but they think they do. They think she does. Okay. And, hey, Julia Roberts and Kate Hudson, and it's this, you know, I mean, it's the same type of thing that, you know, they've been doing for the last three or four years where, huh, there's a holiday coming up. Let's release, the, let's release an ensemble rom-com set on that day and we'll make money. I don't think because, there's you know, a lot Valentine's of... day or new year's or there's one other one that they did. I don't Those think there's money. a third try. I don't think there's a lot of competition this weekend. Um, so maybe the Huntsman, if it doesn't have a huge drop, 
uh, in the second weekend, maybe it makes a decent, you know, it, there's an opportunity to make a decent amount of money. You know, maybe based on word of mouth, you have, you know, frozen fans, <laughs> young girls, uh, get their parents to take them to see this because there's nothing really bad in the movie and everyone wants to go see Elsa, uh, the live action version of, of Frozen. Uh, could be. Or not. Maybe it has a maybe it has a Batman v Superman type drop, and uh, you know it just because it's got one. It's basically my my whole point with this before we move on to the next bit is it's got one more week to try to earn a decent amount of money because then after that it's going to be trampled by Captain America, which is looking Everything like a two hundred million dollar Everything is going to be trampled by Captain America. Yeah, that's my point. Like, like you've got, <laughs> hey, movies currently out right now. You've got one more week left, and then that's it. Because everything else after next week is done. You will have no air at the box office to breathe. You will be choked. Your Captain America, X Men, Alice to the Looking Glass, the Angry Birds movie are all going to choke the life out of you. Um, so I just yeah. need to reiterate how grateful I am you didn't ask me to try and review t- uh, Tim Burton's, you know, Through the Looking Glass, because I may be the only sane man on God's green earth who saw Alice in Wonderland, his version, and thought this sucked. Well, don't thank me. Thank the good people at Fox. Thanks, good people at Fox. Yeah, fascists. <laughs> All right, now it's time for my favorite game. The Rotten Reviews for the Huntsman's Winter's Warrior. Ready for this? Yeah, go for it. I think we're just going to wind up agreeing with them for most of these. You ought to find a couple of of positive reviews. So some of these, um, I'm not even reading because I think they're funny. I'm reading, you know, (laughs) I'm actually, like this first one, I think you'll absolutely wholeheartedly agree with. Unnecessary on nearly all levels. That's Emma Krupp of Red Eye. Yep. Uh, can I just, real briefly, you couldn't, now, bear in mind, I'm a straight male, but if you're paying for Chris Hemsworth, you couldn't have got, you, you really need to put a couple of shots of him completely shirtless on the screen. It's, it's a huge part of the appeal, guys. How do you not understand this? Um... Marija Lonkarovich of Cairo 360 says, a joyless piece of filmmaking which feels empty, forced, and most of all, unmagical. Huh, well, there's that joyless tagline again. <laughs> uh, Roe McDermott disagrees with us of the hot press. It's a film too violent for children, too sentimental for adults, and, well, too awful for everyone. Um... I wouldn't say it's too violent for children. I genuinely wouldn't. I would have preferred them to amp up the violence a little bit, personally. And that's not just because I'm a gore hound. I just mean within the overall tone of the film. As far as being too sentimental for adults, I think it's too poorly written for adults. I think sentimentality is relatively irrelevant to that. So, uh, Matt Goldberg of Collider says to you and Pat Mullen, up yours. He says... The Huntsman makes me reconsider how much I really like Chris Hemsworth. I really like him as Thor, and I think he's got a great knack for comedy, but here he seems far too enamored with his own charm. 
Well, when you've got as much charm as Chris Hemsworth does, I mean, really, what's not to be enamored with? Rohan Nahar of the Hindustan Times. This is what happens when an overexcited studio exec's buddies tell him strong female characters are all the rage these days. Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> the sad Caitlin, thing, let's real briefly, the truly sad thing about that is I appreciate the fact that Jessica Chastain's character is a you know, strong ass kicker in her own right. She doesn't she doesn't need rescuing. She you know, frequently will you know, she belittles Chris Hemsworth a couple of times for you know oh so it's all about you is it? Never mind that you know I've spent seven years still being you know tortured and manipulated by in hell. But no no you you feel good about that and that's really all that matters. It, it it annoys me because you actually crafted a really awesome character there, and it's again marginalized and pushed aside because dwarves. Edgardo Rezendiz of Reforma says an unnecessary sequel and a waste of talent. No, wait, wrong one. Uh, Eduardo Molina of Reforma says an unnecessary sequel prequel that feels like the poor man's Frozen. I wouldn't even call it a poor man's Frozen. Rebecca Keegan of the Los Angeles Times, top critic. Nearly every major character dies and comes back to life at least once, and a convoluted narrative yields not a single palpable moment of drama. Yeah, that's about right. All right, now this one should make you head desk. This is one of those this didn't meet my expectations kind of a thing. It's not what I wanted. Oh, so you mean this is someone who should not actually have a job critiquing things? Correct. Poppy J. Palmer of Sci-Fi Now says, Winter's War would have really benefited from taking over the empowerment torch. Instead, it's almost two hours worth of women betraying each other. I just... Whoa, 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 whoa. I (laughs) I just, okay, well, let me be perfectly frank here. I don't have a whole lot of time or patience for gender crap. I really don't. Now, are there still inequalities to be worked out? Are there still, on both sides, you know, have, have feminists maybe gone a bit too far and, you know, are men may be undercut, are women still marginalized and underappreciated, are people who identify as something else entirely you know, ignored altogether in, 80, in you know, 99.9% of all cinema? Sure. These are things that need to be addressed. There need things that need to be talked about. But on the whole, my patience for crap like, well, this could have turned into – uh, you know, a big you know feminist empowerment thing just makes me want to kill someone. <laughs> you are ascribing entirely too much thought to something that should be simple, lighthearted entertainment. And you're complaining that women are betraying each other. Well, you know, I think Ravenna betrays just about everyone. It's in her character. Ugh. Stupid. Stupid point. Right. Bad <laughs> critic. Bad person. Couple, 
couple more of these, and then I think we're going to call it a night. Uh, Josh Terry of the Des- of the Deseret News in Salt Lake City. So now you can go find this person, okay? Actually, I don't think you're going to want to after this because he pretty much says everything I said before. Winter's War is a kind of poor man's Lord of the Rings, only if you swapped out Sauron with Elsa from Disney's Frozen. Pretty much right yeah. on the nose. Yeah, that's fundamentally, yes, that's about right. Christy Puchko, Comic Book Resources. This is more fractured fairy tale than satisfying epic. And I read that one only because she's not the only one who, who said it was a fractured fairy tale. That became another very popular phrase in these reviews. Well, it is. You, you're trying to tell three or four different stories, and, I mean, you include a narrator. You paid Liam Neeson to narrate for you. I mean, solid choice. But you're trying to structure this as a fairy tale, and you've not only inserted too, too many stories, because there's three or so here, you've also robbed a lot of the kind of joy and wonder that goes into a fairy tale. You know, the morality that is supposed to be there is basically lost because we need, again, jokes about dwarves or a sequence where, well, we, we basically stole crappy gorilla swinging from trees. We added horns and please believe that they're goblins. (laughs) That it, it was a very just, you know, poorly done in so many ways. And it's sad because there's a, the right people in this movie to actually create something fun and entertaining, and instead we get this. All right. Um, almost done here. Uh, Mara Reinstein, U.S. Weekly, makes a very cheeky comment. Charlize Theron is off screen for a full hour, presumably reading better scripts. Wah, wah, wah. And lastly, David Sims of The Atlantic. When people gripe about Hollywood's reliance on sequels and cheap franchise cash-ins, this is the kind of movie they need. No Grimm's fairy tale, but a grim tale nonetheless. The the story they're trying to tell actually isn't based on a Grimm's fairy tale. It's much more based on a Hans Hans Christian Andersen one. But hey, I'm sure you only bothered to know that, oh, the Grimm fairy tales. Much like you couldn't tell me whether a fable was actually in Aesop's fables, or you just know the name. Uh, but yeah, this is, uh, we're going to cash in on this, and boy, we're going to franchise, and we're going to make an extended universe, and there are going to be spinoffs, and no one wants any of it. Bad studio okay, executives. I got two more here because these made me laugh when I read them the first time. Uh, this is Joseph Walsh of Cineview. In many ways, this is an adult Frozen with gothic sensibilities by way of Lord of the Rings, making for a derivative pastiche of the past two decades' cinematic fantasy offerings. Yep, that was a very smarty smart way of saying everything I said before. <laughs> um, yeah, but he did it very concisely and very intelligently, and now we both feel stupid. Oh, you do. I'm fine, but I'm too, but I'm too dumb to feel stupid. So, uh, Andrew Lappin of NPR, top critic. They would be used for a properly dark Frozen retelling, more in line with the original tale, where the afflicted actually uses her powers for mal- uh, malfeasance. But Freya is a snow day late and dollars short. That's fair. Like we said, you know, I appreciate tragic villains to a degree, but we really didn't need one here. All right. I think we're done here. I, I think we've we've 
we've done all the bits that we do on this show. We've talked this movie as much as it needs to be talked about. I think uh, the only thing I'm going to the only thing I'm going to add to this uh, is a general general discussion of where we are with the worldwide chart. And I'm bringing it up now because it's going to change considerably over the next three months. Um, our top five movies uh, right now for the in for 2016 worldwide grosses are as follows: uh, Zootopia, just under a billion dollars at 909 million; Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice, 854 million. So it didn't quite make the billion it was supposed to. But no one's going to lose their job at uh, Warner Brothers, at least not yet. Even if they should. Deadpool from Fox comes in at number three at $760 million, and they're still building a statue of, to Ryan Reynolds in the lobby. Uh, number four makes our second appearance from a Disney movie, The Jungle Book, directed by Jon Favreau, at $563 million. Uh, at number five is uh, a movie that was put out by Sony, which was a Chinese movie, The Mermaid, Mei Ren Yu, at $552.5 million. At number six, finally got knocked out of the top five. Uh, it was actually knocked out by The Jungle Book. Kung Fu Panda. Fox makes its second uh, appearance on the list. Uh, another Chinese movie here, Monster Hunt, at 385. At number eight, another foreign movie, The Monkey King 2 in 3D, 193 million. London Has Fallen, Robert Winfrey, our, our modern day commando, starring my dad. It comes in at number nine. It, the How only, exactly uh, did you arrive at Gerard Butler as your dad? Oh, just like an old an old man kind of a thing. Uh, you know, it was a joke I made when we when we originally when we originally watched the movie, reviewed it. Shut up. Um, so London has fallen. It's currently number nine on the list. It's not going to stay there. It's going to get knocked out. Uh, by the end of May, it'll be gone. But it's there right now. Focus Features has a, has has a top ten uh, hit for uh, 2016. We're all very proud. And at number 10, another foreign movie, IP Man 3. If Don't Man. That is. Is, it oh, is it It Man? Okay. I don't know what it was. Um, uh, it I Man stars Donnie Yen. The original is actually, I think, still on Netflix. It's a really good martial arts action movie. It's a stylized telling of the life of... Oh... Ip is, I believe, his surname. Uh, he developed a very specific uh, kung fu style. Um, Wushu, I want to say, but I could be wrong about that. Anyway, his big claim to fame is he's actually the guy who uh, taught Bruce Lee predominantly. And uh, there's actually a much better and more true to the actual storytelling of that uh, in The Grand Master. And please, if you're taking my suggestion and you're looking up that movie, don't find the bastardized cut they released in the United States. I beg of you, find the two and a half hour original and watch that because that is a free, it's a great movie. And the 90 minute cut they released here, courtesy of the Weinstein company is an absolute abomination. Find the original. You'll be so much better off. 
anyway, uh, there's Ip Man 2 and now 3, and they're just kind of continuations of that story. Uh, I seem to recall they stray more and more from historical accuracy in favor of, you know, just martial arts action. But they're all pretty solid movies. I haven't seen 3 yet, but I've seen 1 and 2, and they're solid. They've got a good following, so I'm not surprised it made that list. All right, so your top 10, out of the top 10, um, your top 5, two of which are uh, Disney movies. One is a foreign movie put out by Sony, and the other two are Warner Brothers and Fox. Of the top 10, one, two, three, four are uh, foreign movies. So, um, but the whole, one, two, three, four, yeah, four movies are uh, are foreign. But that's all that's going to change starting May 6th when Captain America becomes the <laughs> number one movie in the world. Probably the, my prediction will be the first movie to actually hit a billion, and that'll be the third appearance by a Disney movie um, on the list this year. I uh, don't know who's doing the Angry Birds. I, I'm, I'm, actually, I want to re- really quick, I want to look at um, the next couple of movies that, we're, that we'll be reviewing. We're taking a week off. Next week, there's no movies. Like I said, the only three movies coming out this weekend were Keanu, Ratchet and Clank and Mother's Day. We're not reviewing any of those. So we're taking next week off and then we'll come back the following week with a review for Civil War. And then, as I said, we're going every week pretty much until the end of the summer. Uh, so, the, so the four main movies that we'll be looking at will be Captain America, Money Monster, The Angry Birds, and X-Men Apocalypse. But the same weekend as X-Men Apocalypse is also Alice Through the Looking Glass, which, should, you know, which the first one made a billion dollars. Who knows how much this one will make. Uh, so let's really quickly, before we end the show, just kind of look at what studio's doing what. Obviously, Disney's doing Captain America. That'll make a billion dollars. That's an easy prediction. Um, Money Monster. The, that's the George Clooney's playing um, what's-his-face that uh, hits things with bats and tells you about stocks. Oh, some... That guy's lucky he's not doing infomercials. Like, eh, it's not <laughs> gone the way of Billy Mays. Um, well, that, well that, that one's being put out by Sony. Um, and I don't think there was anything that anything else that weekend uh, that was worthwhile. I think that initially we actually took that weekend off and then you know, that one looked fairly interesting, so I figured, what the hell, let's add it to the list. Uh, the Angry So when, it's, when I hate it and it's terrible, I'm going to blame you. Be prepared. There's a shock. Um, all right, so that, so that one's not – that one may or may not make the top ten. Who knows? That, that's, a, that's a guess there. But it doesn't matter because Sony will be coming back the following week with the Angry Birds movie, and I'm fairly certain uh, that one's going to win the weekend. Um, angry, yeah, it's a kids movie. It, it's had a lot. It's been marketed in almost every other kids movie I've seen this year. Uh, angry Birds may or may not still be a popular game with people. I don't really know. I never played it, but um, I have a funny feeling it's going to be a big hit for Sony in the uh, in the children's market. And then on the twenty seventh, we have uh, Fox with um, X Men: Age of Apocalypse. That's probably going to make a billion dollars too. If it's it's of the same quality that the previous two entries into this X-Men trilogy have been, then yes, it will. Um, It looks amazing. Uh, I think uh, think it'll have a high opening weekend. And if if people like it, if people people enjoy the movie, it'll get good word of mouth. And I think people will come back and it'll probably make a billion dollars. 
Um, unfortunately, it's got some stiff competition with uh, around the same fan base with Alice Through the Looking Glass. So let's see who's doing that one. Alice Through the Looking Glass. Uh, okay, Disney. There you go. So let's assume it does nearly as well as its predecessor. That's another, you know, that's another billion-dollar movie for Fox in the same month. So, uh, well, sure, Fox, Johnny Depp's going to get to mince around on stage with, uh, you know, Tim Burton-esque visuals. There's a whole group of people for, for whom that's all they need. They don't need anything other than mincing Johnny Depp with caked-on makeup and stuff that looks like Tim Burton designed it. They will eat that up with a spoon. So conceivably. By the end of May, Disney could own four of the top five spots for uh, worldwide grosses. Wouldn't shock me. I'll be perfectly honest there. That would not shock me at all. They've got a very strong lineup coming through this part of the year. Um, like I said, right now it's Utopia and the Jungle Book. Add Captain America and Alice to the Looking Glass. You've got, yeah, there's your four movies. Well, I think Alice will probably drop the Jungle Book off of that. I don't think that's going to have the legs uh, to stand up to the competition coming out. But it's going to take a while before uh, I'd be. It's going to take a while before something knocks Utopia off of the top spot. To be perfectly honest, no, I it'll be Captain, Captain America is going to do it, but it's not going to do it opening weekend. No, it's not going to make a billion dollars in its opening weekend. Um, geez, I, <laughs> wouldn't it be weird if it did though? Uh, sure, it'd be weird. All right. Um, that's enough for now. I think that's it. Uh, so in all of that were a bunch of our plugs. A couple of other things of note. Um, yesterday, we, uh, we our Metal Hammer of Doom, we reviewed Surgical Meth Machine, and what a time we had. <laughs> Not exactly a great album. Um, we bashed it pretty thoroughly. Uh, tomorrow, aren't those the uh, no, best? when you and I get to like complain about movies and occasionally yell at each other, aren't those the best reviews? They are. Um, last week, we recorded to you people book. out there listening. Um, Prince died last week. I don't know if you care, but we did a tribute to him in place of Long Road to Ruin. So the show that should have taken place will take place tomorrow. We'll be looking at Long Road to Ruin, The Hunger Games, and uh, Catching Fire. Next week, no movie review, but uh, source material. No source material with Civil War is May 9th. Um, however, next Wednesday, special time and day for Metal Hammer of Doom, uh, we'll be looking at Rob Zombie, The Electric Warlock, Acid Witch, dot dot dot, etc. etc. And then on Thursday, we'll be looking at The Hunger Games Part Two, uh, Mockingjay One and Two. So only two podcasts from me next week: uh, Metal Hammer of Doom and Long Road to Ruin. Um, that's it. You've got some MMA to cover, though. Uh, nothing this week, actually. Get the week off, yay. Means I might actually get to write something. Won't feel burned out. Uh, this Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the 411 Ground and Pound radio show, which I host, we will be previewing UFC Fight Night 87. I think it's 87. Uh, their debut in the Netherlands. It's Overeem versus Arlovsky. Uh, when is that? What um, day is that? The second Sunday. So the eight. It's a 
Which April oh, May eighth. Okay. Starts May early 8th. in the morning. I have it as two PM. Uh, for the main card, maybe. I have the main Plus, card at two o'clock, yeah. Plus, you have to remember, I'm two hours earlier than you. Okay. Well, I have the main. Uh, I have. I subscribe to the UFC's calendar, so uh, they have the main card. The first fight pass prelim kicks off at eight thirty my time, so seven thirty Pacific, uh, ten thirty Eastern. Okay, so that would make sense. Um, the main so card I, on so, on my. So yeah, that Sunday at those. Times I will be providing live coverage in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. So stop by, say hello. I appreciate it. Uh, that evening we will be reviewing that card. And Let Robert Winfrey know that you're all that you're all uh, counting on him. He loves it. Somebody did actually Somebody pick did. up that torch from you for the last one that you were unable to chime in on. Oh really? <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if this will mean anything to anyone. I don't know if he listens to this show at all, but uh, uh, Billy Pilgrim, who is a frequent frequenter of the updates in that zone, actually mentioned that, well, apparently Mark's not counting on you, but I sure am. <laughs> so, Mark, yeah, your persistence created a legitimate kind of meme going on in the comments of the MMA zone at 411mania.com. So, uh, Perfect. <laughs> You're welcome. Hey, I'm just happy someone's reading. I mean, I know there are plenty of people who read and just don't comment. And I have no problem what with that if you don't have anything that – if you don't want to, if you don't have a Discus account. I mean, however. Well, I'm just happy to do that people are reading. So I'm oh, good. But, yeah, there's usually someone who will carry up that torch for you I, if you happen to fall. I remember why I didn't comment now. I was at a concert. Yeah. I was, I was, I was at the House of Blues in Orlando with my wife seeing Sister Hazel. I remember. So, yeah, I, I couldn't... Uh, stuff. <laughs> I, I couldn't count on you. I was too busy. Fair enough. I, I believe I made the correct decision there as far as how to spend my night. <laughs> Fair enough. You had to listen to white people engage in complimentary battle raps. I got to watch Demetrius Johnson blow up Henry Cejudo in the first round. <laughs> All right, we got through it. It was fine. Just saying, I think I won in this. I think I won in this. Sure. Uh, all right, that's everything we've got. Again, Mark and I are off next week. Then we'll be back the week after that. And uh, boy, howdy, are we going to be kind of running after that point? All right. Uh, if you want to keep in touch with the Radlich and Broadcasting Network, you can follow us on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes. Stitcher. If you want to keep up with news as well as get you know links to shows, you can like us on Facebook, uh, Radulich and Broadcasting Network. That's R-A-D-U-L-I-C-H. Everything else is spelled appropriately. Give us a like there, and you'll you know get updates when we post them. Uh, you can also follow Mark on Twitter at Mark Radulich. You can follow me on Twitter if you feel so inclined. At Winfrey MMA, that's W-I-N-F-R-E-E-M-M-A. My last name is a compound word, and I there's a big part of me that despises Oprah for making me explain that to people every single time. <clears throat> and all the or all the jokes that I had to endure as a kid. Hey, are you related to Oprah? Well, no, because I wouldn't be going to your broke ass school. Plus, there you know, there, I'm Robert. white. There, there. 
They're there, Robert. They're there. Sorry. Uh, I inherited that particular bit of angst from my father. It's okay. Get on with it. Uh, All right. I think that's it. Uh, It's all of our plugs. You've got a bit of our schedule. You know where to find Mark. You know where to find me. Uh, Yeah, that's it. See you in a couple of weeks for – what are we reviewing? Oh, for fuck's sake. (laughs) I'm being serious. Half. I want to say Captain America, but if I'm wrong, I'll, I'll feel like an idiot. Yes, you dumbass. Hit the music. Right. See you in two weeks when we review Captain America Civil War. I will explain to Mark once again why Iron Ma- why Captain America is superior to Iron Man. Uh, is, now, has, and always will be. All right, see you guys in a couple of weeks. Until then, please continue to be well, be safe, and behave. And as always, the theme song for everyone who's involved in movies, apparently. Play, damn it.